Welcome to one of the most significant weekends of the year for the Philadelphia Eagles on and off the field. It's Hall of Fame time for two esteemed men who have had and continue to have great impact for the Eagles. And Jeremiah Trotter and Merrill Reese will be honored at halftime on Monday night as the Eagles take on the Green Bay Packers at Lincoln Financial Field. Hello everyone, I'm Insider Dave Spadaro with you on this Eagles Live podcast episode 49. Coming off a loss in Seattle, the Eagles want to continue their home field dominance this week and get themselves in striking position in the NFC playoff picture coming down the stretch. To do so, they're going to have to keep a struggling Packers team down. Green Bay is 4-6, and six, having lost four straight games, and the Packers' defense has been all kinds of bad allowing an average of nearly 40 points per game in those four defeats. How much does all of that matter? We'll explore here on the Eagles Live podcast. The Eagles have some changes along the offensive line. They've added wide receiver Paul Turner to the mix. And the defense, of course, has to handle the great Aaron Rodgers. Special teams coordinator Dave Phipp talks about his group and the success they've had. We'll scout the Packers with our X's and O's look. And Merrill's Minute is all about his appreciation for what's ahead. We begin with our weekly exclusive one-on-one with head coach Doug Peterson. Doug, five and five here. Uh, let's talk about the big picture. How do you feel about this football team going down the stretch? I like where we're at. Um, obviously, it could be better than five and five. I think we're a game or two better than where we are right now. But it is what it is. We got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's the Green Bay Packers coming up. And uh, we're trying to get to one and zero this week. And uh, but you look at the last six games. I think it's a good opportunity for our football team to embrace it and uh, put us in a nice position at the end of the season. The offense has been hit and miss a bit. Um, wide receiver production has been questioned. I wonder if you talk about that group as a whole. They continue to work every day. It's tough enough to go perform, but you know each man has to look at their own performance. They got to figure out what they need to do during the week. I got to figure out from a game plan perspective how to put our guys in situations to be effective. They just got to continue to work. It's something that anytime you're exposed to as many young players on offense, particularly that we have, it's just they can't get enough reps. And it's reps after reps after reps and putting them in those situations on game day. And I like where we're headed. I like the direction that we're going. You know, so the future's bright that way. After ten games. Is there anything that a coach can put together during the week that is a nuance in an offense that's something new that that another team hasn't seen or pretty much have a good feel of what teams are doing you can i think you got to caution against it because again when you're dealing with young players you know you want to make sure that you're doing right by them but uh, at the same time keeping it simple kind of keeping it fresh for them to just go out and relax and play what are the packers like Packers are obviously, they're on tough times right now. A lot of injuries over there. Uh, They still have Aaron Rodgers, so that's always a factor. Not only can he beat you with his arm, but he can extend plays with his legs. And it's a home game for us, but, uh, you know, we just got to attack it one at a time and and try to get 1-0 this week. Down the stretch, does the tone or the tempo of a game in the NFL change with the playoffs positioning kind of being in sight? You know, it begins to ramp up a little bit because this time of year, you see the teams that really aren't in it go the other way, and the teams that are there are going up. In my opinion, we're one of the teams that can go up easily and be in a position to at least be in the talks at the end of the year to be in the postseason. So, you know, it's a matter of taking care of business uh, one week at a time. Again, as we mentioned, I like our schedule the rest of the year, four out of the six at home. You know, we just got to take care of this one. Thanks, coach. Thanks, Dave. In case you haven't noticed, the special teams have been pretty, well, special for the Eagles once again under the direction of coordinator Dave Phipp. The Eagles lead the NFL in starting field position after the kickoff and in opposing starting field position after kickoff, and Phipp credits his players for the success. 
I'd say we got a bunch of good players. That helps. Ultimately, the whole thing starts from the top, and Jeffrey Lurie does a great job emphasizing it. It's important to him, and then on down the ladder with Howie and uh, Joe Douglas, and then obviously a head coach who supports it, and then obviously we got a bunch of great players who are unselfish and commit themselves to playing well on special teams. Dave, for those fans who don't know as much about those players, who would you identify? They know Darren Sproles, and they know Caleb, and they know John Dornbos, they know Donnie Jones. Who would you identify as kind of the unselfish core, really valuable guys on your special team? So I'd say the hardcore four core players are the guys like Chris Marigos, Brian Brayman, Trey Burton, and then you have a guy like Najee Good. But then you get a bunch of contributions from a bunch of different guys, which is what makes it fun and unique. Like, for example, Smallwood had a great game for us last Sunday against the Seahawks. He made two tackles. The week before that, he made a tackle. Um, so you get to develop and grow young players and see guys grow up in the league. Let's take the case of Wendell Smallwood. Kid's a fifth-round draft pick comes in as a running back. But in the NFL, you know, you've got to do more. What was it like to build him into this kind of productive player tackling the football on special teams? Yeah, I was just laughing with him about it. It's actually really fun because you get to work and mold a guy and bring him up and watch him to grow and develop. And then at some point you get to see him have some success and, you know, how fun that is for a guy like him who really has not done a lot of that in the past. So it's really rewarding. So when you initially introduced the idea to him, do you sense a reluctance or a, a nervousness about it? it an unsure feeling about it yeah I would say that's probably the best way to say it I think it's not necessarily as much reluctance as you know I think it's unsure and anytime these guys I mean they've been so highly successful in everything they've ever done and then you're asking them to do something totally unique and I think they're nervous that they're not going to perform as well at that task so I think there's initial reluctance or not sure um, but once you work through that and let those guys know that you're working with them you're in their corner and you want to help them and make them a better football ball player, I think they really embrace it. Dave, what are some of the keys to making a player like Smallwood or Trey or any of these players good in coverage? What are some of the facets, that, some of the things you really emphasize? I would say first and most important, it starts with the player. He's got to want to be good. If the guy wants to be good, then you can help him out. I think there's a lot of different techniques and fundamentals that we teach. Pad level, avoiding blockers, decision making, whether they can run around blocks or have to go over the top of blocks, depending on where the ball carrier is, where they are. There's a number of things that you can help a guy out with and teach him. You mentioned Chris Maragos. He and Donnie Jones and John Dornbos last week signed contract extensions. What kind of feeling does that give you, Dave, knowing that those three will be here for years to come? Yeah, that's outstanding for me. I mean, those positions are critical, obviously, and those guys are the heart and soul of everything that we do. So to know that those guys are coming back and you don't have to worry about that makes everything a whole lot easier. And you've got the machine really intact, the operation with John and Donnie as the holder, and now Caleb, who's a year plus into being a Philadelphia Eagle. Caleb's interesting to me. Big leg, draft pick in Miami, things inconsistent there. He's become very consistent here. What have you seen from him in terms of growing as an NFL consistent kicker? Yeah, I love that because in my mind, I think everybody just deserves a chance. And if you really give a player a chance and show that you believe in a guy, it's amazing how far somebody can really go. And I think he's a great example of that. But he's a tremendous talent. You always knew he had the talent. Obviously, things didn't go quite his way at the very beginning there, which happens a lot with a lot of these guys. But if you just show that you believe in them and trust them and stay with them and then, you know, work on refining their technique and skills, um, I think it can go a long way. Did he really show you something from a mental standpoint in the summer preseason training camp? He had to go out and win a job, and he did it. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, we all love Cody Park. He's a great kid. He's a great player in this league. But at the end of the day, Caleb went out and took that job, and he did a great job. But he performed at a really high level. Dave, what's the feeling you have when the Eagles go out and return a kickoff? It has been so dynamic since you've 
been here. Remarkable this year. The Eagles lead the NFL in starting spot after a kickoff. I mean, it is just what a game, a changing play it's been for the Eagles. Yeah, that's been great. I wish I could say I remember all the great plays. Unfortunately <laughs> for me, I think about all the plays right. that didn't go the way that we want them to. But these guys are great. They really work hard. They do a great job of executing the techniques and fundamentals. And they play with a passion. And for me, it's just a tremendous honor to be a part of them and coaching them. Dave, your standpoint now, we're in late November here. The weather is turning. How much does that change special teams? It definitely has an effect on it. I think you saw that last week with the 12 missed extra points. Some of those were blocked and some of those were indoors, so the weather didn't affect it. But a bunch of them obviously were outdoors. So playing in the Northeast, you're going to get some weather. It's just a part of it. But to me, it makes it more exciting and really more fun. You make an excellent segue for me here. I want to talk about the new rules. 12 missed extra points. Last year, the NFL clearly thrilled that the extra point is no longer a gimme. What is happening from your standpoint just around the league on these missed extra points that hopefully won't happen in Philadelphia? Yeah, no, I think the weather obviously played a big part in that. And at the end of the day, it's a 33-yard field goal, which is not just a gimme. I mean, I know that these guys hit them at a high percentage, but even for these guys, they got to go out and work for it. And if you miss hit the ball just a little bit, it's not going to go through. If that were, you know, the old extra point, those kicks still make it in there. But to me, I really like what's happened. At the end of the day, I think, you know, the league wants to incentivize the two-point play, which I think is exciting also. And I think because of the extra point going down in percentage, that helps incentivize the two-point play. And it makes discussion for, you know, what to do. Go for two, go for one. And I think those are all positive for the game. The other rule change this year, the kickoff, a touchback comes out to the 25. Has it changed the way you've approached the kickoff in any way? Or have you seen it change the way other coaches approach the kickoff? Yeah, I think it's changed the way the kickoff's been played out. I think you're seeing teams can kick the ball higher and shorter a little bit. But I don't think it's like everybody said before going into the season it was going to be all the kicks were going to be high and short. And that obviously has not happened. I don't think that's the right formula. I think it's a combination of both. And I think there's a lot of variables that affect that. What's the score of the game? Who's the other return team? Who's your cover group? Do you have injuries in the course of the game? There's just a lot of things that go into it. But I think at the end of the day, it's also made it more exciting. I love the kickoff. Why wouldn't you kick off high into the goal line every time if you believe in your coverage teams? Yeah, I think I would just say that at some point, maybe you got a bunch of backup players. Maybe you have a big lead and you don't want to play the play all the way out. You don't want to give them a chance to return one, uh, even though you know the chances of that happening are rare. There's still an opportunity for it to happen, so you want to eliminate that altogether. So I would say there's just different scenarios that play into it. And then the other craze in special teams is guys leaping over the long snapper and blocking a kick. Is this something that coaches are teaching, Dave? Is this something that these tremendous athletes are instituting on themselves? Yeah, no, it's something that they're teaching. We actually ran that with Brian Bremen a couple of years ago. It didn't end up working out. They ended up still making a kick, but I think it's something you'll see more of, and then I think at the end of the year, the league's going to have to make a decision whether or not they want that to be a legal play. It's yeah. a tough play to defend. Is it a tough play to execute, though? It's a tough play to execute, and it's a tough play to defend. Why is it um, tough to defend? tough to defend because now they're allowing the uh, field goal block unit to hold the snapper down and so the snapper really can't rise up to block that guy and then the guard is the next closest guy who could help out the problem with the guard is he's also got to take care of the rushers that are lined up over him so if he's standing up to help out over the center he's going to get knocked back so it makes it difficult probably the best way to defend against it is to change up your rhythm so you're not always going on the flash of the hand or maybe you go on two and you're implementing kind of a snap count much like 
offense would. Let's finish this up with Darren Sproles and a little chat about, again, a great season. I know you love talking about him. He's got to be one of the most remarkable players you've ever coached. Yeah, I love him to death. And really my favorite part about Darren is just the way he practices and approaches the game. I mean, the guy plays with a chip on his shoulder. He does it every single week, and he's done it for a long, long period of time. And that's something that, in my opinion, is very rare. Dave Phipp, special teams coordinator of the very best special teams in the National Football League. Thanks so much for joining here. An important challenge for the Eagles to overcome is another reshuffling of the offensive line. Rookie right tackle Halapalavade Vitae is out with a knee injury, so veteran Alan Barber slides from left guard to right tackle, where he has had eight career starts. Stefan Wisniewski moves into the left guard spot. For Barber, the transition is a bit upside down. Alan, how has it come, the transition back to right tackle? Day one was all right, you know, worked on technique and just, you know, just trying to get familiar with it again and get comfortable there, you know. For those who don't understand, can you go into the nuances of how different is the technique? What part of the technique is different? It's just flipping everything in your body, you know. Let's say if you're right-handed and you're right-handed your whole life and you've played right-handed or for my case, I've always played primarily on the left side and then to switch to right, it's like breaking your arm and trying to eat with your left, you know. It's different, it's awkward, and, uh, you know, I just got to get comfortable with it again. What are the different requirements within the job from a guard to more space on the edge at tackle? You're dealing with a different kind of player. You're dealing with a guy that uh, works in space, probably a little bit more speed. And so, you know, you have to use your feet more and you have to stay in balance and and stay under control. You know, as in guard, you know, a lot of times you got guys on both sides of you. The space is a little different. You know, the guy's usually a lot bigger. How about working with Brandon and getting familiar with him? Have you done it enough in the summer and through that time? I'm pretty familiar with him. You know, we understand each other's communication and, and, you know, we're on the same page. And what do you see from Green Bay? What sense do you have of that defense? They got a good defense. You know, they uh, they got a good D-line. You know, they get off the ball well. They got some good pass rushers. And, you know, we got to stay on top of our game and communicate well and you know if we work hard together we'll see good things are you excited to be back at right tackle does it matter to you guard or tackle i can't say i'm excited but i like playing left guard but uh you know i think this is what's best for the team so that's why i'm there also on offense the eagles promoted turner to the 53-man roster after he spent all season on the practice squad turner was outstanding in the preseason and he's ready for his opportunity to shine whenever that may come Paul, what's it been like for you all season, kind of playing this waiting game and getting better behind the curtain? You know, I can honestly say that uh, at first, you know, it was rough. Everybody coming in, you know, everybody feels like they want to play. I just think that it was a blessing at the end of the day to be on the practice squad and develop as a player and to hone in on the little details to try to help make myself a better player each and every day. So I just think that at the beginning it was rough, but I soon realized that it was a blessing to help make me better. And going against guys like Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, other guys on the team on the defense, you know what I'm saying? I just think that they help make me a better player and they help make each and every one of us a better player uh, each and every day and so I just think ultimately that I'm excited to be here now and I'm excited that I have that opportunity. You've heard the rap too small too slow so have you gotten faster if that's possible (laughs) since August I mean because your technique is better I'm sure and your routes are better and so forth. I can't sit up here and say that I've gotten any faster but I can say in my opinion that I feel like I've become a a better route runner and I think I, I focus on the ball more and I attack the ball more which ultimately helps you become a better player overall so I just think that's helped me and then the whole being too small or not big enough thing to me that really doesn't matter because I know at the end of the day that I mean people are going to say what they want to say. Do you have a sense of what will happen Monday night? Will you be active? Will you have playing time? Oh uh, you know honestly I don't know like I said you know the biggest thing I can do is just go out there and prepare each and every day like you are going to be active on Monday 
And if that time comes, just make sure I'm ready when the opportunity presents itself. But as far as right now, honestly, I'm not sure. How did you replace the competitiveness when you're not playing on Sundays? I mean, that's something you've done your entire life on game days. How did you respond? Uh, I mean, my biggest thing was just looking at it as an opportunity to get better. Throughout the week, you know, a lot of those practice guys talk. It was an opportunity for us to make ourselves better and not just look at this as... I don't know, like a down year, you know what I'm saying? You got to go in there with the mindset that at any point in time, your number could be called and you want to give the defense the best look that you possibly can to give us the best opportunity to win on Sunday. And so I feel like that's what not only myself, but the entire practice squad has tried to do to try to help make the team the best that we possibly can. By watching, have you kind of appreciated the difference in speed and tempo of the game, preseason tempo versus regular season tempo? Oh, definitely. Uh, you can really see the difference in the tempo. The guys are flying <laughs> a lot faster, you know, out going to the game uh, last week and seeing uh, us play Seattle, you know, you can really see that the game is a lot faster than it was in the preseason. So now you just got to make sure you try to pick up your speed and tempo each and every day, too. How excited are you? I'm very excited. Um, like I said, I think it's surreal, and I just know that at the end of the day, it was a blessing, and I'm thankful for it. On defense, the Eagles have to go against superstar quarterback Aaron Rodgers, who has 25 touchdown passes and seven interceptions this season. He's had to carry Green Bay's offense, which has not been able to generate, once again, a consistent running attack. Defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz knows all about Rodgers, having coached against him when Schwartz was in Detroit. For the Eagles' defense, the similarities between Rodgers and last week's opposing quarterback, Seattle's Russell Wilson, are striking. You know, there's a lot of carryover from last week with Russell Wilson. Puts a lot of stress on your defense from the ability to extend the plays. He's made a lot of plays this year with his feet, including scoring touchdowns, getting first downs, also creating time to make plays down the field. He's a guy that can throw the ball in really, really tight spots. And I think it's another challenge to our guys you have to keep competing. We had some similar situations earlier this year, you know, with Pittsburgh's offense. Antonio Brown, he made some plays in the game. We were able to keep him out of the end zone. Julio Jones made some plays. We were able to keep him out of the end zone. If we take the same attitude in this game, it'll serve us well. They're still scoring. They've lost some shootouts, but they've still been uh, they've still been scoring. They do have a lot of pass plays that are called runs. You know, if it's a bad run look, the quarterback will throw it out to one of the wide receivers. Um, they throw a thing we call flat screen, you know, depending on certain zone coverages. And it's really those passes are an extension of the run game. And I know from, you know, from being around offensive coaches, their goal was to average five yards with those plays because that's what they want to average in their run game. So I think that when you put that on the quarterback and you say, these are run looks, we're going to bail out of it. You know, it's all about getting first downs. And it's all about scoring. Of course, his yards would be down. He's doing a lot more of that this year. I don't know if that's the, the sole reason I haven't crunched those numbers. But there's enough plays on tape of him attacking down the field. You know, he's one of the best play-action quarterbacks in the NFL. They have a great play-action scheme where they protect up with a lot of guys and, and send the ball deep down the field. And it's not just Jordy Nelson or, you know, 17 has made a lot of plays, including against Tennessee. You know, he's really developed. He's in his third year, and he's made some plays for him, too. Safety Rodney McLeod has had an outstanding season, and he respects the Packers largely because of Aaron Rodgers. You know, it all starts with 12. Uh, Aaron Rodgers makes that unit go. You know, he's the guy, as he has been for plenty of years. They also have good skill players, too. Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, and uh, Adams doing a good job. So they still manage to put up points, man, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers uh, leads that group. And they've done it without really running the football, which makes it even more remarkable. So when you go into this game, do you think mostly about the pass? No, I mean, you definitely have to respect their run game. Uh, they have Ty Montgomery, who they've uh, kind of turned into one of their uh, running backs. Bigger receiver, but, uh, you know, can do it all. Very creative in how they use him.
him. Uh, also, they got James Starks back there, just had a Christian Michael. So you got to be aware of the run game. Obviously, want to make them one dimensional, but it all starts with stopping the run and then, uh, you know, getting out there and Rodgers when the time comes. Rodney, how do you look at this stretch run at five and five? Uh, I look at it, you know, we ride in the thick of things, you know, obviously not where we want to be. Um, we want to be, you know, top in the division at this point, but cars are dealt how they're dealt. You know, we control it the next game, which is the Green Bay Packers. And hopefully, uh, you know, we're one to know and we get this thing rolling. And, you know, Monday night is going to be a good stage for us back at home. Crowd's going to be behind us. So looking forward to it and, uh, you know, making this run. Does confidence go up and down during the course of a season in the locker room? I think this locker room does a good job, man. I think we ultimately, you know, know that we're better than uh, what our record shows. Uh, we've made a lot of mistakes, you know, that's cost us uh, things that you can't do in this league if you want to be successful. So I think everybody stays encouraged. We all stay together, which is big. And we trust the process and our coaches. So um, do a good job that, you know, we came out here today, got after it. So looking forward to the rest of the week and getting a win. How can the Eagles win this game? For that analysis, we turn it over to Fran Duffy and our scouting report. Thanks, Dave. And really, when I look at this matchup, it comes down to, for me, the Eagles' run game against the Green Bay Packers' run defense. And when you look at this Green Bay defense, you see a team that ranks sixth in the NFL right now in stopping the run. But when you really look at the numbers, you see they got off to a really hot start. Their first six opponents all rank in the bottom seven running the football right now in the NFL. But when you look at their last four games, they have really struggled, and especially with all of the misdirection and backfield action type schemes. A lot of similar concepts that the Eagles use in their run game. A couple weeks ago against Tennessee, they gave up a 75-yard touchdown run to DeMarco Murray on a split zone run that we have seen the Eagles employ week in and week out over the last month and a half, two months of the season. You go back to last week on Sunday Night Football, they gave up a 68-yard run to Robert Kelly late in the game off a very similar concept. So when you look at Doug Peterson and the rest of this offensive coaching staff, the way that they like to run the football, lots of different schemes. Not just one play, not just two plays, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 different concepts on any given game where they try to keep second and third level defenders on their toes and that has been something that Green Bay has really struggled with. A lot of young players in the second and third level of their defense and a lot of injuries. So players playing out of position, players playing in roles that they're not accustomed to and that has been an issue for them over the last month and a half of the season. I expect that that will be something that Doug Peterson and the rest of this offensive coach staff will look to prey upon regardless of who's in the backfield for the Eagles on Monday night. The receivers have still been inconsistent. Jordan Matthews is having a fine season. Zach Gertz has come on strong in recent games. The rest of the group, they need to be more productive. Former Eagles wide receiver Mike Quick talks about the group of wide receivers in this week's press coverage. Mike Quick, look, we've talked about the wide receivers a lot here. We talked about them last week. Developments, obviously, with Nelson and his admission of being in his own head. When you hear those words, what does that make you think? I just think that the kid needs to get some help, get stronger at being Nelson Aguilar because I've seen him play and I've seen him play well, but he's just somewhere stuck in a place where no one seems to know how to get him from where he is to where he needs to be. The show to Nelson Aguilar that, that I thought deserved to be a first-round draft pick just watching him play. The rest of the receiving core now needs to step up. We don't know the role that Nelson will play on Monday night. Is Doriel Green Beckham ready for more targets his way? Is Bryce Treggs ready? Is Paul Turner somebody who can maybe add a little punch here down the stretch? They have to be ready. You know, this is not a situation where they can sit back and wait. They're called on to produce now all of these guys and have to do a little bit more. And that's what you have to do. They're professional wide receivers. So you can't just limit them to doing you know one or two things. I think Bryce Treggs, you got to see him running more than just 
just deep routes and taking the top off the defense. You got to get him more involved in running routes, the whole passing tree. How has the wide receivers group, the inconsistency there, the lack of production, how has that kind of stunted what Doug and Frank are trying to do? It absolutely stunts what you're trying to do. You're off the field. You know, most times it's a third down situation where you need a catch to keep the drive alive and it's forcing your offense off the field, their offense onto the field. So yeah, that hurts every time one of these guys drop a ball or just let one get away. Your thoughts on the Eagles and how they match up against a secondary of Green Bay that has been just so porous and so banged up with injuries? I think it's what they need right now. I think this is a secondary that they can really take advantage of a lot of weak areas, and I think it should be a good night for the wide receivers and tight ends. And then let's go off the field here for a moment with Merrill going into the Hall of Fame. You've been his sidekick, and it means a lot to him. I know that he seems very emotional this week about it, very proud of this moment. I think he should be emotional, proud, all those things. I think everyone's going to be really excited. He's got generations and generations of fans out there, and they're going to love this moment, and and certainly Merrill deserves to be in the Eagles Hall of Fame. A Hall of Fame broadcast booth for the Eagles fans on and off the field. How many fans get that kind of treat? Dave, I never thought about it like that, but that's cool. That is cool. cool. Last, but certainly not least, on this Eagles Live podcast, we hear from the voice of the Eagles' Merrill Reese, who will be inducted, along with former linebacker Jeremiah Trotter, into the team's Hall of Fame at halftime on Monday night. This is a very special Merrill Minute. When you're in a profession like this and you're in it long enough, you are the recipient of a lot of accolades and awards over the years, things that just come with doing something for so long. But to me, becoming a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame is the ultimate. It is the greatest honor I could ever receive. I am so grateful to Jeffrey Lurie and the Eagles organization for recognizing me and putting me in a group with so many people who I have idolized throughout my years and who I have the highest respect for. It's a wonderful thing for the Eagles to actually say, I belong with these people. This is to me the absolute ultimate. The connection with the fans is something I feel every time I get behind the microphone. I'm speaking to them as if I am speaking to a close, close friend. And to stand in front of 70,000 people at halftime in the Monday night football atmosphere is a great feeling. It's not something that I'm nervous about. It's something that I'm excited about. And if I have a few words to thank them, I mean them from the bottom of my heart because it is the acceptance of these fans that has made my career the success that it's been. Believe it or not, with all of this going on and all of the appearances involved with it, all of the ceremonial functions, my number one objective on Monday night is to deliver a solid play-by-play performance of the Eagles to the Green Bay Packers, which hopefully comes out with the Eagles on top to really make the night a success. But I go through the same preparation week in and week out. That's my number one focus. I think about the game. The other is the icing on the cake. It's a very, very special night in my life. And that will do it for this week's Eagles Live podcast. Make sure you're with us following the Eagles-Packers game very late on Monday night and early on Tuesday morning as we give you the instant reaction with our very latest podcast. Thanks to Brian Thomas and his staff for putting this all together. Thanks to you for joining us each week. It's the Eagles Live podcast. I'm insider Dave Spadaro. Thanks for joining us. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. E-A-T-L-E!